Hello and welcome back to the Job Hunter podcast, the show that takes a deep dive into some of the UK's most interesting jobs. I'm your host, Tim French, and this week we'll be looking into one of football's most controversial innovations. Our next guest will help to answer some of your frustrations and explain what goes on into ensuring you can be sure it was a goal and if the technology had been around in the 80s, the infamous hand of God would have surely been disallowed. So sit back, relax and enjoy as we find out more about ball tracking and goal line technology. Welcome back to another episode of the Job Hunter podcast. Today, we'll be casting a keen gaze towards today's guest. I'm hoping my questions don't get caught for our side, as I'm delighted to be joined with Connor Brown, UK training lead for Hawkeye Football UK. Welcome, Connor. First off, what exactly is Hawkeye? Hey, Tim. Yeah, good question. Um, so Hawkeye Innovations is a um, sports technology company that started um, around, I think it'd be in about the 2000, early 2000s, but the technology started getting worked on the mid-90s uh, by a man called Paul Hawkins. And um, the idea behind it was to do trajectory-based tracking on balls, essentially, and various projectiles, and implement it into... Originally, the idea was to implement it into... I, th- I believe he was going for tennis, um, but then what then eventually happened was is that it got picked up by cricket first, I believe. So around the 2001 mark, could be, these dates could be slightly off. And then, um, and then the following year, it then got picked up by tennis. And so what the technology was essentially used for was tracking balls, see whether they were online for stump, for like out in cricket, or whether they were in or going to be in or out in tennis, because what it used was it used trajectory-based tracking in a 3D space. And these, essentially these projectiles, were they going to be out or not, depending on like this, this kind of trajectory um, that was tracked via the system. Uh, it then kind of exploded. I think if you're a cricket or a tennis fan, the words Hawkeye are quite synonymous with the sport. It's um, very widely known in those sports and it is called Hawkeye. It was a big brand. Then we started to move into a lot of other sports as well as other other areas of technology. Um, still the main crux of it for a while, still being the kind of that ball, um, ball tracking system. And then in, for me personally, what's re- relevant to me in 2000 and... Uh, 2012-2013 it got introduced into the um, footballing world in the uh, Premier League and the main re- there was a few things that was kind of ha- political things that were happening at the time because there had been a lot of resistance they'd been ready to kind of implement it into football from about the 2010 era and it actually ended up kind of being put to the side it's like you know it's, it's the traditional game like you know and they just didn't want anyone's kind of fingers in the pie and then we had uh, England had that incident where Frank Lampard had clearly scored. Oh, I was going to mention was, that later. Yeah, yeah sorry. I, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and that amongst other things helped push us forward. Uh, high profile case, and that kind of goes to show you that even with something as robust as Hawkeye and how well they were doing in tennis and cricket, they still needed those kind of extra pressures to kind of push like this kind of like people who were just kind of stuck in a mindset of like things need to be this way because this is how they've always been. And uh, that kind of like resistance to change. So yeah, we came into football around the uh, 2012, 2013 kind of era. And um, 
since then it's been growing massively and the things we do aren't just ball tracking anymore we do um we provide graphics we uh do replay systems for um img studios um we do um, analysts and medical services um ball tracking and obviously the big one video assistant referee for some well big one for certain sets of fans i'd still say the ball tracking stuff is still big for like your cricket and your tennis etc um and yeah so and i think in was in 2012 as well hawkeye got then moved under the sony um europe branch so now we're actually a subsidiary of a um, sony corporation um but yeah that is in a, a brief nutshell hawkeye innovations so kind of dumbing it down you essentially are, you know you have computers have cameras that can monitor the, the the flight of a ball and be able to determine based on where it is in space whether or not that's okay or not effectively how, how exactly do you do that yeah i can give you i'll give you a quick topology of it so for the ball for the ball tracking side of things um without going into the numbers we have a various set array of cameras and i'll use um football as an example um so at a goal um at this uh, goal post we have a set number of cameras all pointed at that goal face and what they're doing is they're each a 2d image and like our eyes each eye being a 2d image by combining those 2d images we can create a 3d space by using this uh, set origin point so you obviously have your x and your y but then you have a separate x and y from a different location and that can create your z axis which gives you that third third axis and they all just come off that zero 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 point um and you have these ca uh, cameras wor working in a system which are always trying to find a set ball and this um this will be done via pixel recognition and whilst obviously in tennis and cricket the balls are very kind of plain and you know occasionally they might be pink in football they're very defined patterns so it's obviously looking for a very defined pattern on a certain ball and it's going right okay can i find this ball on this 2d image and can this other camera find it and if the one camera finds it because oh i think i found it and then another camera goes oh let's see if we can see that camera on that exact same point and then they they find it and then they all start to agree with each other and that's all done via pixel recognition and like machine learning so this is um as we do more and more like kind of testing pre-season and stuff that machine learning becomes stronger and stronger and then eventually you get to a point where the systems is like yeah that's 100 the ball i can see it like it's right there and um it's incredible that kind of like that how far machine learning has come because obviously people are kind of afraid of that kind of artificial intelligence thinking it's going to take over the world but in reality it's it's just more about kind of being it's being able to let the like the programming to be able to actually just like track those kind of more mundane tasks if you know what i mean like they're not they're not going to be able to not quite ready to take over the world yet but they can see a ball a mile off and they can and, uh, think quicker than us right that's the whole benefit compared to a person that potentially will only ever see it once in their life and, and that's it they can't compute it quickly enough to see what's happened whereas it's happening milliseconds microseconds for sure and i think the it's, it all, it's all about the kind of it goes hand in hand because with the machine learning it you still need a human input to begin with to help the, the system learn what the balls are because to begin with they don't know much at all they just kind of know the rough pattern that they're looking for but it goes through us um it, go, it gets generated through this software um, without going into too much detail, I don't want to give all the give all the ideas away. Um, but yeah, and so that in a brief uh, brief nutshell, that is the overall topology of kind of how the 
tra basic tracking system works. That then is also then put into like graphics that we then overlay for TV. And that's um, various softwares communicating with one another so that we can then just output that straight to TV using like broadcast cameras. Um, so yeah, so that obviously then kind of leads into that whole relationship with that we're not just working in the technology space, we're also working in the broadcast space as well. Um, which we're becoming more and more heavily involved with, and especially with our kind of like introduction of graphics and also going into um like the kind of player tracking side of things as well, which is also very heavy on the machine learning, especially for things like limb tracking. So you've obviously mentioned that it started out in the Premier League. Um it's yet to be adopted by the rest of the the lower tiers, isn't it, at the moment? Um, no, um, so actually, goal, so goal line, goal line technology is in, if I'm going to go, I'll just briefly go over the ones in Europe. We have it in the EFL Championship. So that's the tier below the Premier League. We have it in the Premier League. We have it in La Liga. Um, we have it in Syria. Um, and we have it in the Bundesliga in um, Germany. Um, and then on top of that, we then also provide VAR to a lot more countries, um, just purely because that is based off the idea of that we're able to then integrate with broadcast to do that. And we have a number of different ways of coming to that solution. So how is Hawkeye different from, say, the like the TMO kind of, because that's a more physical um, assistant referee, isn't it, in, in rugby? How is, how is like VIR and that technology beneficial again over someone else just reviewing replay footage so with tm so the good the interesting thing about that is is that hawkeye have provided um like kind of their own tmo for even sports like rugby and in a situation like rugby there's when you're purely just looking at video replay footage you might start to think okay so there's that's all we need it to do. Like that's just kind of pen and paper that there. But with Hawkeye, there's obviously a lot of integration because they're already doing a lot of other stuff that's kind of evolved with the sports. So for example, in rugby, do we do like a, med a medical systems as well, where we um, provide tablets to the um, coaching staffs so that when they see like blood subs, concussions, et cetera, they can, they'll, someone, people are running on the pitch whilst the doctor's able to actually kind of look through the footage quickly and kind of see if players like eyes are kind of like rolling in the back of their heads as they kind of been hit and they can make that decision a lot quicker. And rather than having four or five different contractors on site, the um, RFU are kind of able to go, okay, well, we we already use this one contractor for this. They also are able to do this and they're proven in this sport. Therefore, we can they're able to then also integrate that system because it's coming from the same place because being able to provide angles on a tablet is also then able to provide angles to a screen to the referee. Um, and it's a, that's like a very simplified version of it, because in football, there's a lot of other stuff that we're doing. It's not just the VAR and the goal line. There's about seven or eight different other services just in the Prem and then in the UEFA, there's a lot, there's other services that we provide as well. You obviously mentioned the, uh, the, the Frank Lampard incident, shall we say, Berlin... 2010 wasn't it um or was it a euros it was euros it was was it i can't remember it was it was definitely a a a game of a very contentious um episode if you want to describe it as that um what exactly happened and why did that create the appetite for hawkeye that we see now so to not go too much into because it, it is kind of it's very basic in the sense that the ball, a ball was struck by Frank Lampard and it hit the cross, uh, crossbar, went down and was, from our perspective as a viewer, clearly over the line. Now, 
I'm like, I think a lot of people obviously it's immediately like, oh, how's the ref not seen that? And I think we forget as a viewer that the our difference between our perspective and the perspective of an official on the pitch who is at the ground level is very different. And your ability to be able to judge perspective at that kind of like finite level from about 20 meters away in comparison to us, who's got a top-down view on a broadcast angle, it's quite difficult. And I think this is kind of leads on to how I think football, and I think a lot of sports saw it a lot sooner. Um, I'm not saying football was resistance change. I think there was just a lot more pressure for them to be resistant to the change. But they suddenly realized that technology wasn't necessarily to hinder the officials or kind of overstep the mark, but it was almost to provide them a way of kind of kind of not getting as much like kind of slack as they do get already. Um, and I think this is one of the things I've kind of like, there's a lot of things I've learned from this job coming in, but one of the things that you don't realize as a football fan is just kind of how good these officials are at their job a lot of the time. And we kind of are very quick to kind of jump on them because obviously one it's, it's the whole thing with like one bad review equals like 10 good, like 12 good reviews. Like I remember getting told that at my like very first ever job. And it's the same with referees. They can make 20 really good calls and they just make that one bad call and everyone just remembers that. And, um, and I think that's what we want. Like, that's what I want as a company is I want to be able to provide them the kind of means to be able to kind of make those decisions when they're unable to. And, um, yeah, I think, yeah. And that one of those like main learning points from it was just that I have a lot more respect for them. And also there's so much more insight you get from just kind of being able to talk to them as well. And you suddenly realize they're actual people. It's shocking. It's a shocking revelation, isn't it? When you find out that Mike Dean actually is a, you know, another human being who, you know, has makes, makes, yeah, has feelings, <laughs> makes jokes and, you know, and you realize that he's, like, you, you're able to talk to him and it's the same for all of them. And so I think that was like one of the, that's one of the things as well as at Hawkeye. Like I think a lot of people can see technology is kind of almost trying to take this kind of tradition away from the game. But I know as a company ourselves, we're not there to try and do that. We're trying, we're there to try and improve the like the accuracy of the decisions that are being made within this game and actually to kind of support the guys who are on the field doing it. This is probably gonna be a hard question and, and feel free just to 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 not answer it, but has has Hawk, has Hawkeye ever got it wrong? <laughs> I think there's that's I mean that that like any football fan is able to kind of already answer that question for me. Um, so we hadn't so there very very brief thing with the whole like uh like Aston Villa Sheffield United last year where it was just it was just a without me going into too much detail was it like a one in a million you'd call it where just every single thing that could possibly go wrong did go wrong. And um, everyone obviously makes the jokes that we just weren't turned on. And obviously that's, uh, <laughs> it's just fa it's, it's fair enough. Like we're not, we're like, our job is to get that decision correct. And we get that decision correct every other game of the year. And um, yeah. And so that, and like, I, I've had a lot of people come up to me and kind of say, uh, oh, so what, what, right, what really happened? And I was like, I swear to God, like what is written on that? Like, <laughs> cause we, like the company put out a tweet at the time. I was like, what is written on that tweet is exactly what happened. Like, it's just, it's one of those things where it's just every single thing that went wrong. Like, just like these cameras are strategically placed. So they're not like getting blocked. And it's just like, there's so, so many things that could have gone wrong, went wrong. And, uh, but we've now, the good thing is you learn from those kind of experiences and you kind of think, oh, that will never, ever happen in a million years. And actually it does. And so you then go, okay, well, we, we now improve. We're a technology company. We're innovating and we innovate to make sure that this doesn't happen again. And uh, that really, a really fun thing. And I don't think many people notice it. And this comes back to the whole thing of like, no one will ever, 
no one ever will ever champion it when you get it right. It's always when you get it wrong. But um, that exact same goal, the exact same ground, the exact same spot of the goal, another goal line decision happened there about three or four months later is at uh, Villa Park. Uh, and same spot in the goal as well. And and it was fine again. And so it's just like, oh, so yeah. And I think I think I would have, I guess it's good though, in a way, because obviously you don't want to make too much of a big deal of it because we don't want to make a big deal. It's like, oh yeah, no, no, we're working. It's like, yeah, we are working always. So it's just... Um, I thought I thought that was quite like interesting that it's just ah uh, no one no one even on broadcast seems to have picked up on this but uh, which is fair enough but yeah so apart from that like my my years and before me it's fair it's a really robust system and it's like it sometimes just absolutely shocks me the kind of things it can do as well um, and as you said like the like when it comes to the whole machine learning and just kind of being able to just like. I mean, you've got cameras working at a very high frames per second and they're able to track this ball a hundred times plus a second. They're going to be they're way better than us. We're, we're working with what, 20, is it 24.25 or something like that? Our eyes are going at. So, but yeah. So obviously you've mentioned that Hawkeye are branching out into producing graphics and stuff. I'm a huge baseball fan um, and I think some of the, the weird statistics you get from from the ball tracking and and the the stat cast it's called AWS stat cast um i don't know if you've seen any of that but what are some kind of obscure stats that you'd love to see more of within within football let's say you know whether that's the quickest speed that someone's run or or you know some some more kind of metrics that you can measure while while players are, are moving around every every time i every time it comes to those kind of stats i think oh there's not there's not something that they've not like thought of already that's like going to make me go what the hell and then they do it and i'm like oh yeah fair enough go on if you could do that why not um this um when i was a kid i used to be obsessed with like uh like like how quick the footballers were running it's like oh who's the fastest footballer in the premier league and so obviously like i think like if even just like kids or even yeah most football fans are obviously that's the kind of stuff like I think America is a really good example of it because America absolutely love their stats. They hammer at home. Like if you ever watch like the NFL, like all they're ever doing whenever, like between the breaks, especially in the UK where we don't have those ad breaks that they're always having, like just constantly just churning out the stat after stat, like all the numbers, the number crunching, like what this means. And it's like, I think spare, like, you know, the market's like kind of going towards there. And um, we, uh, we have another company within the Sony branch called uh, Pulse or Pulse Live. And they kind of work. They work within the stat uh, stat space, and um, that's where we've got new technologies kind of working, and we're kind of working side by side with them to kind of provide those. Interesting on the baseball subject, um, you may or uh, you may know this. Being a base avid baseball fan, the all the like M- uh, is it MLB, yeah, MLB games in um, the US. All the automated tracking that gets all the like kind of like ball speed data and stuff is all done by Hawkeye. And it's all that automated by um it's it's all done as well, like remotely from a global office, which I believe is located in Atlanta. But um yeah, so that's uh that's again another uh, it's a weird one. It's a UK company and it feel it's still to this day, like we're we got so far ahead, but it can still sometimes feel like a startup because you're like, oh my god, we're in this that sport now. And like every single day you go, like, well, like every month you go into work, like, and you just suddenly you got a newsletter of another sport that we've just kind of entered into all of a sudden. So um, it is super interesting. Can't remember if that's answered your question, but I mean, yeah, definitely. Um, so we've 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 talked a lot about um, Hawkeye itself. Let's let's talk talk a bit about Connor Brown. Where where's Connor Brown come from? Um, what 
is your background uh, first and foremost um you know well how did you get into working for, for a company like hawkeye because i don't imagine um it's the kind of place that advertises in the newspaper yeah um i think it's a, it's a really good one um i can't remember the name of the commentator um he was commentating alongside uh, ali mccoyce on a amazon live game and um they like one of our operators was uh went to the pitch side to go sort the referee communications out because we do communications as well for the referees in the premier league and uefa and um he was fixing the headset and one of the commentators said like can't imagine he ever it's like, can't imagine he grew up wanting to be a var engineer and it's like at the time you're thinking oh that's really harsh like you know like he's he's doing a job and he like you know he enjoys his job but of course it, but then you kind of at the flip side you go well yeah of course because this didn't exist like yeah i didn't exist like a few few years ago and like yeah i'm happy to hold my hand up i wasn't like at three years old going i want to know where the ball crosses the line and i'm going to make sure that happens um but for me growing up the i kind of almost I knew what I liked and I knew what I was good at. And I was like, I was like, I liked sport. I wasn't necessarily the best at sport, but I really liked sport. And then I also had a, just a very just genuine knack for like maths and physics. Um, not necessarily any other subject, just those ones. And just any numbers I felt kind of like, you know, there's a defined answer. So I, I quite like that. Um, and so when it came to like the decision for like going to, university and i i i was perpetually in that scenario of like because I, I i think a lot of people who i've i've listened to a few podcasts and i've listened to a few people some people know don't they from like a young age of what they want to do and i got to like age 18 and i'm just still there like i've got no clue like one minute i want to be a teacher next minute i want to like kind of like go and just travel and the next minute i kind of like want to be doing this that and then i was like sat down one day and i said right what do i like and i was like oh, what well, i really like sport so, okay right what am i good at I was like, okay quite good at maths and you know do um done like physical education stuff so how can i put this together and you're automatically thinking oh maybe sports science biomechanics and, stuff. and then uh, i remember like searching and i was like oh i'm really interested in like kind of formula one as well i'm like, really interested in engineering so i just typed in like sports engineering just because i thought it'd be funny just to see what kind of would come up and see because you know there's like there's a there's a degree on harry potter so surely there's a degree on like sports engineering and it turned out that there was. <laughs> it was like, um, and there was a few places that was offering like sports technology. It's like, oh, okay, I'll look into that. And next thing I know, it's like, oh my god, like this is, this sounds perfect because it's like it's a way of using the things that I kind of like, I enjoy, and things that I'm good at. And I, when I say good at, I also enjoyed them as well because I, like, I enjoyed like you know, I know it sounds quite shallow, but if you're good at something, you do tend to enjoy it sometimes. Um, and so. Basically got the idea of, okay, I want to be in sports technology. And then I went to uni and was immediately submerged into all these different opportunities within the kind of sports sector. And uh, I've got people that I worked with that went into uh, footwear development, people who went into um, kind of the more kind of like programming side of things um, within kind of like um, like OptiData server and whatnot. Um, and guys who then kind of went on more to the biomechanics side of things, kind of... Um, doing motion capture as well. We had, I had um, a friend who went straight into the film industry because they were doing a lot of um, uh, Vicon uh, Vico motion analysis. Um, so it was like, it was weird to kind of also see that even then when you go into something that specific that you could still branch and go horizontal almost. And like, um, and yeah, and so then came to, I remember like kind of got to placement year and it's like, okay, right, really should be thinking about now, like what I want to be doing. And um, I'd, like kind of grown up like really like loving sport like my um my 
stepdad and my like step grandfather, like who have like known since I was like three years old, like was so into sport. And they like my said they got me into football from a really young age. And my step granddad was like he was um sports writer for the times and so like and he loved his like cricket and tennis and so they just all these sports getting thrown at me and one of like the and then i remember like kind of seeing hawk kind of appear whilst looking at like placements like oh that would like that'd be really interesting and then kind of came to a point where i was like oh, okay well actually i want to do a master's so i'm going to go i'm going to just finish my year off and then i'll go and then i'll do my placement year between my year and my master's and instead I finished uni and I started my master's and I, I'd thrown my CV in just because like, I kind of had that like, kind of like, you know, like, oh, well, this job's going. So, you know, I might as well put my, for that, but I'm still doing a master's. And then next thing I know, like getting in, like getting an interview and then suddenly I've accidentally, like, oh God, I'm doing a master's and a job at the moment. <laughs> And uh, yeah, and then ended up doing them side by side because I'm not t- giving up that opportunity. But um, yeah, I think the the want to work for someone like Hawkeye came from the idea that I just they were so heavily involved in all these sports I'd grown up with, and they were they made such a difference in like the kind of cricket and tennis and football was like kind of something that I'd played as a kid and like it was kind of the main sport that I still was always following. And so I was like, right, okay, well. I know it's I know it's getting bigger in football and I like I know there's other stuff coming and like like reading into it a lot of the time there was just like there was just so many there was so much rumor mill going around like all the things that were going to be coming in and it's madness now that we're four years later and a lot of those rumors are now kind of in re- come to like fruition almost so um but yeah it's um I think a lot of, I think it comes back to the whole idea of like a lot of people who might be listening to this are kind of probably still sitting there sitting there thinking listening to your podcast going, I want to work out what I want to do. And I think even when it came to like, when I was like 21 and I still wasn't hundred percent certain, I think it goes to show that you can get to a point, like don't feel like you're getting to like 16, you need to know, don't get to 18 and feel like you need to know. Like if you're, there's like one piece of advice that kind of helped me and I'm not necessarily saying it's the most golden piece of advice, but if it comes to that, go, okay, well, what do I enjoy doing? Like, and if you think, oh, well, that's not going to help me get to like, maybe like all the money in the world. Like, yeah, but it's going to give you satisfaction and job satisfaction sometimes will help you get through um, a lot more situations than just having money in the bank. If you know what I mean? Uh, don't get, don't get me wrong. It's still important to kind of take those things into consideration. I'm not saying that money isn't important, but you do need some of it. Um, but the, I, th- I don't like, I, I think there'll be some people who are listening to people who knew what they wanted to do since they're eight and they're sitting there thinking in their twenties, they're 25 going, I don't still don't know what I want to do. And, uh, in reality, it's, it's all about not necessarily knowing exact, exactly what you want to do, but almost just kind of being out of work out what is going to make, I guess in a very simple way, just bring you joy. Um, obviously you're going to have some bad days. It's not like, not saying that's for everyone i'm sure there's some people maybe who are having good days all the time i don't know (laughs) but um like it's it's where you kind of like you go you don't go into work thinking oh my god i'm going into work again and that's it like that's it every day for like five five days six days seven days a week and you're just there like why am i doing this like like find find something that makes you happy and kind of like almost capitalize on that so hopefully that answers the question so when you were a kid right yeah. What did you want to be when you grew up? You know, I wanted to be a bin man. Actually, more importantly, I didn't want to be a bin man. I wanted to be the bloke that drove the lorry. 
you know, what yeah. did you actually <laughs> want to be when you were a kid? And now on reflection, do you think this is the right career path uh, you've, you've, you've actually gone down? When I was um, 11, I wanted to be, I oh, was it 11? Maybe, no, I was younger. I think I was about nine. We, um, my family took me to Florida and this is kind of like a taboo subject in this day and age, but you know, like SeaWorld, obviously you had blackfish and stuff. So it's like, but at the time, obviously as a nine-year-old, you don't see it that way. You just see it as like, oh my God, there's these amazing animals. And I just remember looking at the killer whales, like, I want to be a killer whale trainer. That's that's what I want to be. As a nine-year-old, that was like, in my head, that's what, that was it. And like, if you would like to ask my, like my parents now, like, oh, what, what did he want to be when he was a kid? They'd probably just say that because it was funny. And also it was probably the most like out of the blue thing boils down to wanting to be a marine biologist. And I actually met um, met a couple of marine biologists a, f- a couple of years ago and their job sounded like so cool. And I was like, oh my God, that sounds amazing. But I didn't sit there going, oh my God, I should have done that. Like I came out of it thinking that's a really cool job and I really want to know more about that. But then I got to go back to work and I didn't, like it wasn't like I was going back to work and like, oh God, I'm not a marine biologist. So um, but yeah, and then after that, I'd say the only other thing, like the main, uh, there were so many things I kind of thought about. I think teaching was the, other one and that kind of came from that same conversation with myself of things that I was good at like I really enjoyed kind of those eureka moments of teaching someone something and then being able to like it clicking in their head and then going oh my god I get it um and I think I there was a big there was a pivotal moment where I probably could have easily as ended up going into teaching as I did going into this um and I basically sat down like for a few days with um like um, some teachers at my school and basically just kind of like spoke it out with them and basically come out of them going, right, give something else a chance because you can always come come to this regardless. Like they're never going to say no to getting more teachers as long as you're, you no, know. They can't do, <laughs> no, that's not true. Yeah, exactly. True. And I think <laughs> that's the thing. I think with teaching, it's such a important skill. And I think I underestimated as well. Like I'm good at teaching, but I'm good at teaching people that want to learn it's a whole other thing getting people to learn who don't want to learn. And I had some great teachers for that. Like, cause there were some subjects I did not like to begin with. I went into like secondary school, hating history, hated it with a passion. And I came out the other end of it doing a history A level because I just loved it that much because the teachers that I'd had, which had convinced me to just like, um, like I just showed like they appealed to my learning styles and they'd kind of like put the time and effort in. And now that I look back on it, I go, I don't think I could have done what they did for me. You know what I mean? So I think obviously people say like, oh, you can't do teach. But I think there's a lot of people out there who like teachers who are very good at what they do. And uh, it's a shame because obviously teaching, the only way you can ever measure the progress is just like in like 10 years time and how well you they did. Like um, uh, I've got like a few few teachers. Um, I'll happily name drop a couple, uh, Mr. Walker and Mrs. Hackett, like absolute gems i still take all the soft skills i learned from all their lessons as well like into all my learning approaches for everything as well still so yeah so that that's what i want to be killer whale trainer excellent if i could hand you my crystal ball right here and can see it yeah obviously it's right here predict the future for me right where do you see projectile tracking technology going completely abstractly you know i'm imagining you know, I mean, they already kind of use it for stuff like tracking the uh, space shuttles when they take off, you know, SpaceX, stuff like that. Where do you think that, you know, projectile tracking will go outside of the realms of sport if there is a potential for that? So projectile tracking exists in a lot of other industries already. Um, and it already exists in space technologies. It exists in um, military technologies. Um 
amongst a bunch of others that I'm probably not even thinking about at the moment. And so whilst I, I'm not always kind of able to keep up to date with what's happening there, especially because they're using it for different purposes and also they're doing it in different manners. The way, the way that we've kind of attacked it from Hawkeye's perspective is that you're trying to integrate with traditional sports and broadcast and, um, where I see it going, I kind of already know roughly because I know what the technologies that are kind of coming out. And whilst I can't necessarily, probably some NDAs involved with some of these things, but it's like there's um there's there, there are things on the horizon that are going to be using this, not necessarily just ball tracking, but just like tracking in general and live tracking and being able to integrate that into the broadcast environment and being able to use that for things. And it's already, you've already kind of started to see it happen with like your baseballs, like your automated data kind of being churned out and being sent to these broadcasts and they're just able to retrieve it, like a click of a button that's kind of being given to the fans directly in real time. And that stuff all starts to become more and more prominent in certain sports. And I'm sure there's, um, people have probably heard like rumor mills of like, oh, surely they'll start to maybe look at things like automatic offsides. And that's kind of where that technology will most likely be heading now. And I cannot, I can or cannot confirm that that technology is already being tested. But the that that and that's using things like you know your limb tracking and kind of like your ball projectile tracking, kind of knowing those exact points and being able to use all these technologies that already exist because like we've gone from like being able to define kick points in games to being able to like locate a ball on a pitch to being able to use cameras. Um, remotely with uh, like, so a really good example as well. We have like a department called smart production who use like automated cameras to be able to track tennis matches and stuff without like cameramen less op- like operated cameras, for, like your kind of like lower tiered um, like matches. Cause obviously it's not going to necessarily be a camera one for, you know, your main court at like Wimbledon, but you've also got courts like six and seven, which especially like in a, coming back to America, they love, they absolutely love their sport and their intake of it. And so like yeah, India Wells and Wimbledon where they want to be seeing those, like they want to see all their players playing. And so it's like, well, do we have like, um, like, can they afford to be like sending like all these different broadcast companies with all their different cameramen to kind of like integrate it? It's like, yeah, or we could just ask the technology company that's already here doing all the all tracking to actually, you know, can you set up a few of your automated cameras to actually just track this for us and just kind of do it all remotely with like joysticks and kind of um, just screen tracking in general and board, um, uh, projectiles there so i think that's probably another thing is like it's already exists but there's there's room to improve i think is probably what i'm getting at there let's take a break from all the heavy stuff let's let's pull it back a second uh from all the talk about ball tracking and is it offside is it onside uh and let's get into the really important question which is tim's three tips the worst name section of any podcast and i refuse to change it now because i've made a point of it being terrible um, so I will not change it. Um, obviously, I can't believe that you know you're my friend, um, but you have this incredible position of being the training lead for the whole of the UK. Uh, I'm sure for greater regions than that for Hawkeye, um, and you're my age. You're 25, 26. It's kind of blown my mind considering where I am in my life. Um, so, what three tips would you offer to someone who is in a position of responsibility? regardless of their age, um, what three tips would you say uh, make a good, you know, leader, manager, whatever? Um, firstly, Tim, uh, Tim's three tips, you use alliteration. So, you know, you get a point for that. It's like, uh, there's some English language students who are clapping for you. Yeah, exactly. See, nailed it. Um, the, 
whether I'll be able to turn out three tips, but the, so with this job, I, I went into it at 21 and you kind of like, you obviously think like in your first year, your two years, like you won't be given too much responsibility. Um, like you'll maybe be trusted to kind of like, you know, sit on a computer and do certain things. And within three months or four months, I was the sole person delivering like a goal line technology, uh, sorry, the goal line technology system at a Premier League match. Um, it was at, yeah, my first ever game was Watford. Um, and that was crazy because four months prior, I didn't know a single thing about this bespoke um, software. And you just kind of, you get thrown into the deep end and you're like, if I had told myself that was going to happen, I probably would have freaked out. So like, I don't think I've got, you know, I don't think I'm going to be able to adapt quick enough. I don't think I'm going to be able to learn it in that time. I think one of the things I, and this is quite cheesy, but um, is to all like never underestimate yourself. And that's in, that's coming from someone who like has done that repeatedly throughout his life, like constantly kind of not been able to self-assure and kind of like almost like back, back himself when he really should have. And as a result, it's ended in a lot of things that probably, you know, like a lot of times where I kind of look back now and go, oh, if I really kind of just like trusted my, my kind of my knowledge at the time, my kind of skill that I probably would have been absolutely fine. Like um, me and you, we both know each other through snow sports and I could probably apply that to like, like we you obviously used to ski and I snowboarded and like in those snowboarding competitions I did, like there's probably a lot of times where if I just kind of like kind of almost gone to myself, you know, no, you can do this. I probably would have done a lot better in those scenarios. Um, obviously there's no regrets there, but the main thing, yeah, the main kind of tip I'd say is that don't, because I, this, I kind of got forced into this situation at Hawkeye. Like you kind of almost get like put in a position where you have to back yourself. Cause if you don't, you're going to sink. Um, and I didn't, and then I didn't again, the next game and I didn't again, the next game. And then you obviously have those times where you're thinking and you have the support of your team. It's not like you're just on your own. Like you have, you have like room, like a global support team and you have like kind of those, like those hotlines that you phone if like you kind of like you need the help. But in reality, like I think, and it's probably the thing I probably can't thank Hawkeye enough for is the fact that they kind of gave me that ability to kind of be almost that, like give me that level of independence. And, um, I'm not saying it's easy to um, kind of back, like back yourself in that manner, but almost kind of like when you're having those conversations, I had, I had this once and it's going to sound really, really like I've, I've gone insane. I'd like stare at like stare into a mirror and just kind of look at yourself, not as yourself, but almost look at it as your best mate. What would you be saying to your best friend? Who's about to go do the thing that you're about to do? Like you wouldn't be saying, Oh, you can't do this. Like you're like, you're not ready for this. You're like, you don't know what you're doing. You're going to be like, you know, backing them up. Like you're gonna you're gonna be saying something like no like 100 mate you're just like you're way overthinking this and don't get me wrong I spoke to friends and I kind of needed them to tell me that as well but the at the end of the day when you're and this is probably another uh, good example for anyone who's a football fan is that when I was nine months into the job I did the like I I got given the role of team leading at the um, new camp for the all the Champions League matches. And so it's providing all the UEFA services at the new camp. As a kid, I remember going there on like a stadium tour when I was like 11 thinking, oh my God, it's Barcelona. This is sick. 
and just suddenly realizing you're providing like this huge system that like everyone knows about at such big games for such a big club. I'll, uh, I, if you told me that was happening like nine months prior, I would have just been like, nope, can't do it. I'm gone. I'm not ready for this. I'm an absolute phony. Um, and I think it's just being able to trust yourself and know that you, you are, if you're putting the work in that you, you've got to give yourself more credit. Um, in terms of other tips for responsibility, um, I'm someone who I, I'd probably call myself um, a procrastinator at best. I, uh, I've perfected the art of doing things. Uh, I perfected the art of doing things last minute at university, and I never learned from any of my lessons because no matter how many late nights I pulled, I'd somehow pulled. I, I would pull through most of the time. Didn't quite happen the same at A level. I got had to kind of get kicked up an ass there, but then I went back to sorry. <laughs> Um, yeah, when got to uni, I got into my procrastinating ways. Um, then when I started my master's, I suddenly realized I kind of had to, you know, start putting a bit more planning into things and actually got a bit of a wake up call that I had, I should have kind of taken fully when I was 18, but I didn't. And, um, this is probably, uh, this probably won't apply to a lot of people who don't have this issue, but there are times that some certain people are going to be kind of thinking, I don't need to do that now. And I think it's almost being able to kind of have that chat with yourself of actually, do I need to be doing that now? And can't like, I'm saying that I don't need to do it now, but really in reality, am I just saying that because I don't want to do it? And if the answer is I don't want to do it, then you've got to ask yourself two questions. One, okay. If I don't want to do it, why I'm like, why am I doing it in the first place? And uh, two, okay. Well then if I, like, I think, yeah, it's like, if, if I, okay, okay, I know now why I'm doing it. How am I going to, like, what, why am I still saying no? And I think that's the kind of, you almost have to address that yourself. Um, I, t I think, yeah, I think for procrastinating, it's, it's a weird one. We could, get, we could do a whole entire, like, like, podcast, I think, on just procrastination itself. I remember, like, li listening to a really, really good uh, TED Talk on procrastination, um, I think if you just type it in, you'll find it. And it's uh, that was actually quite good because it was just like, oh my God, this is incredible. Like, this is exactly me. And it turned out I was procrastinating by watching this video. The the irony did definitely hit me then. Um, and then finally, I think know if you are in a position of responsibility that someone else has looked at you and gone, they are ready for that. They are ready for that responsibility if in, a, in a work environment. There might be some times in your life you get given responsibility that no one necessarily gave to you. It's just kind of ended up on your lap. That's a bit different. I'll go into the work one first. Someone has given you that responsibility and they believe in you. And especially in a, in a work environment where money is a big you know, cost factor, cost factor, they haven't just given you that role because they think, you know, oh, well, if you don't do it, it doesn't matter. Like they know if you don't do it, it doesn't matter. So they've trusted you with that. And the pe these people have been doing the job for longer than you have. And so they know who the people that are ready for. So in that respect, you kind of almost have to kind of, again, give yourself some credit and go, okay, well, they think I'm good. good at, they think I'm going to be able to do this. So I can do it now. I just need to kind of, instead of letting the thing that, because there's always that voice in the back of your head that's going to kind of stop you wanting to kind of, move forward because you're like, oh, I'm not ready for this. I can't do it. It's like, oh no, cut that voice out because someone already knows that I can do this. 
I don't need to say that I can do it because they already know that I can do it. So if you're really struggling with you, just know that someone else has told you that you can do it. So it's fine. And actually just focus on the things that, okay, right. So how do I do this? And then look for that advice. And there's always, and it's never, it's never bad to ask for that advice as well. I've, I've talked to people within my company and talked with people outside the company. And there are, I mean, if you want to talk to someone who's had responsibility, just talk, talk, if you can talk to your parents or your grandparents or someone in your like, who's got children, they've, they've already had responsibility. They, they like, they've, and they've, uh, I'm not saying necessarily it all equates. Um, I'm not saying me being able to turn on some computers at Barcelona is the same as being able to handle like 20 years of, uh, raising a child, but they, there are people that you can kind of turn to and don't be afraid and don't feel like you're trapped in that situation. And then, yeah, I think on, yeah. And I think that also applies to the, um, other one that I was talking about as well there. Um, when you it gets thrust upon you out of the blue, Connor, fantastic. Um, we're kind of getting towards the end of the show, to be honest. Um, I, I'm gonna try and avoid uh, coronavirus uh, as much as I can, but I'll finish on this one question. Um, you've obviously mentioned going to Barcelona and going to the new camp. Um, what's the craziest place your job has taken you? Craziest place. Yeah, so for the job, so obviously with UEFA, we travel a lot. And I've been to so many places in Europe now. And it's incredible. That's why I'm so thankful for that kind of opportunity. Um, I've been to Belgrade. I've been to Budapest. I've been to Malmo. I've been to Barcelona. I've been to Villarreal. I've been to Paris with the job, um, Bordeaux, um, Oh God, there's so many places, uh, burn in Switzerland. Um, oh God, I, I'm not going to name all of them. There's way too many, but the weirdest one that I, this country I would never have ever gone to, cause I've been to Moscow. I don't think I ever would have necessarily made it to Russia, but I did. I went to Moscow, but if I, there was one place that I'd never thought in a million years I'd ever end up was Kazakhstan. Um, and that was a huge experience because uh, it went to the ca um, capital, which was, at the time was called Astana. It's now called something different. Um, and obviously you go there and you're thinking as English, no one's going to like you because our country may or may not have been partially, or at least one of our actors may have been partially responsible for creating a certain stereotype over uh, Kazakhstan. And so obviously going there, I thought, oh God, this is going to be awful. But actually it was... It, was, it wasn't bad for that reason, but the one thing you kind of realize going to countries like Kazakhstan is that even in Europe, when we go to France and Spain and stuff, we don't realize how much we rely on people to kind of know our language. Like we kind of think everyone in the world must know English. Like that is the, that is like, that's the, that's the language. That's the one that everyone has to use when they don't know what else to use to each other. Maybe Spanish in certain areas of the world, especially in Latin-based communities. But um, I think... Yeah, with Kazakhstan, no one's speaking English. No one, no one, no one, like two, like apart from the people who are working for UEFA, no one there spoke any English. And so obviously that was like, and this happened really early on in my like Hawkeye career. And I remember like we got put in this hotel, which turned out to be a nightclub, which we didn't, we only found out about at 2 a.m. Like on one of the evenings when we were there, we suddenly just heard like from like the floor below us. And so what the, what the hell? Who's playing music this time? And it turned out there's a huge like nightclub downstairs. Um, and yeah, the, like that, I just remember that whole experience, like it was minus 23 
like this huge, huge city, this huge, huge stadium that was there. Just kind of felt like it was in the middle of nowhere. We landed in a blizzard as well. Like I remember like landing thinking if this was, ha- this would never happen in the UK, but obviously they're so used to it. And you could like, they had like a camera at the front of the plane that you could like look at. And as we were landing, there was like a snow plow just coming underneath and like literally like timed it so that it's just cleared it as you go down, which is obviously they do it all the time. They know what they're doing, but still you're like, oh my God. And like, all you see outside is a s- snow pelting down. Um, and yeah, that was, that was crazy. Kazakhstan was, I only got to see Astana, but it was really, it was really interesting to kind of be put into that kind of situation, like, and a country that I never thought in a million years I'd go to. And it was like the people there, although necessarily didn't all speak English, the ones that did that we kind of got to know a bit more, like they were really kind to us. Um, and again, just like being able to like kind of mutually bond over something like football and like that, those kind of technologies was in itself quite beautiful because you kind of like realize that like things like sport transcend like language sometimes. And actually you're able to, people say, people always argue like obviously the kind of like, people like the money that kind of goes into sport but it it provides such a such a unique experience when you're able to kind of communicate with these uh, like other people from around the world um and i've spoke to people from china people from um japan people from south america brazil chile peru um uh, even people from the united states of america who um can sometimes be hard to understand but like the like still like these kind of sports and whether it's football, whether it's this other sports that we kind of we're in and we're able to talk to them about these things like this, just always so interested. And I think that's also something I've like noticed with this job. Like if I'm ever at a wedding, you always like, yeah, that thing, like, I don't know if you had this as a kid, like whenever you like were expected to like go talk to people around the wedding and like, I have nothing to talk to these people about. I don't know who half of them are. I, especially with like people who like football, as soon as someone finds out what I do, it's like, that's it. It's like an hour of my day gone. Cause I'm just going to now expend an hour talking to this person about what I do. And I know it probably sounds like I don't like it there, but I do like it's, it's, it's good to have that kind of talking point. I don't try to make it about me. I try to like get them involved with the conversation about it and ask them their viewpoint. And I think going into it as well, obviously I think that big question um, is do like, are all these technology, should all these technologies be within football? or like within these sports, like, is there room for them? And I think I get a lot of people who kind of, with goal line, I think it's fine. Cause I think the ball tracking is kind of like, it's fine. It's, it's objective. Like it's either in or it's not in. Obviously with VAR, there's a, a lot more subjectivity to it with the referees. And obviously a lot of people, I, my friend said it the other day, it was like, you do, like, he's an investment banker. And he's like, is it weird that you're, you, you're hated more than I am now? <laughs> it's like, it's like, yeah, no, I get where you're coming from. Um, because I do get a lot of like, kind of like hit back from people, especially like with the VAR side of things. And they, I think when I talk to them, I, I try to like kind of make them realize that with the technology, the technology is trying to facilitate the best decision possible. And we are, con- and we conduct our technology based upon the rules of the game and, and the laws that are kind of given to us by individual competitions because this might be some people might not realize like we have between uefa and the premier league for example we have to implement our technology in different ways because they want to use it in certain ways so an example of this is in the offside instance where in the premier league offside is even if it's just to like one pixel it's if it's offside it's offside um whilst in the uefa if there's an like if those lines are kind of like in contact or it's like 
to the point of like there's like a certain pixel distance or whatever there's like a discrepancy and there's a um what's the word there's a not a discrepancy tolerance, tolerance. yeah you'd think being an en- uh, engineer you'd, i'd be able to come up with the word tolerance um there's a tolerance and so when that get kicks off even if the line's slightly in front or whatever they won't give the offside uh or they won't reverse the like they'll yeah they'll they won't give that offside because suddenly it's just like oh, okay well no, there's like there's there's too little into it there, and obviously some people in the Premier League are like, oh my god, VARs were in everything because they they can't even draw a lo- uh, draw a line and they're, they're put, putting the wrong things and it's like, well no, like we're we're doing it the exact same way that we do it for UEFA, but um, the difference is is how we have to implement that technology and how we have to do it, and all, obviously things like drawing it off the sleeve, drawing it off the armpit, drawing it off wherever they kind of like deem is the place to be drawing it, like that is dictated to us by. Um, the governing bodies of those sports, whether it's um, the, the match officials board or whether it's UEFA, whether it's the Premier League. And so as, as a company, we we are not there to try and ruin people's days. We want to make the game as fair as possible. And the way I do believe that we, after a few years as well, especially with something as new as VAR, it will be absolutely fine. And I think people, again, going back to the beginning of this talk, is people always conveniently overlook the good things there's there's always a lot of good things because the, the negative things that they when they stand out they stand out but and i think this is something you can take into your life anyway is that just remember that people are very lenient towards always remembering the one bad thing you did when you do 20 good things but don't let that deter you from continuing to try and do the good things because they're the things that are making the difference whether they people realize it or not you're the person doing it and you'll realize it yourself and I like to think that's what we're doing as well. Look, Connor, it's been absolutely fantastic to, to have you on. I'm going to have to blow my whistle uh, for full time now. That was unfortunately. awful. <laughs> um, that was terrible, but I'm, I'm going to allow it. Um, where can people find out, more, find out more about Hawkeye? I understand that you might have some positions available. Um, and obviously, we'll drop that, that information in the show notes uh, afterwards. But where can they find out more info if they want to find out more info? So for so Hawkeye um, Hawkeye Innovations, if you type that, uh, Hawkeye Innovations Careers on um, on Google, and you'll find it. I'll drop the URL for you in the uh, um, for the description. Um, and yeah, and that that's the main that's the kind of your main source. Otherwise, probably BBC Sport News is probably also a good place because I'm sure we'll be talked about at some point. But if you want to learn more about getting into kind of that side of things, like kind of going to systems operations, we don't just do football. We do a lot of different sports. And also if you're a developer, because I work in the product and operation, well, I work in the operations team, but we also have a product team, um, development team. So uh, if you're wanting to kind of get into that side of things as well, their um, positions kind of coming up all the time. If they're not around right now, give it give it a few months they do pop up um is uh there's we're still moving forwards and um yeah i think yeah i think that's, that's well it. good luck with the rest of the season and all Thank your you uh, endeavors um i hope it all goes well stay safe and i'll hopefully catch up with you again soon cheers man thank you very much tim thank you so much to my guest this week connor brown as you may have heard, he's an extremely busy man. Best of luck to him and his team as they have a hectic week setting up ahead of all of the UEFA Champions League ties. If you've enjoyed this week's episode, 
check out some of our other interesting professions and maybe even tap that subscribe button if you're so inclined. You can follow us on our socials. It's at JobHunterPod to stay up to date with who we've got coming up. Trust me, next week's episode you do not want to miss. I really hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. I've been Tim French and you've been listening to the Job Hunter Podcast. Welcome to the Job Hunter Podcast. I'm your host, Tim French. Have you ever wondered what it takes to become a fighter pilot? Or perhaps you've always wanted to be a fly on the wall inside an operating theatre. Maybe you're just interested in finding out more about some of Britain's most intriguing professions. Come along and join the virtual careers fair as I ask the nation about their vocations. From barristers to butchers, scientists to supermarket heroes and everything in between, the Job Hunter Podcast will delve beneath a job title and talk to people at the heart of their professions. If you want to be involved, then get in touch. There is no job too small, no tail too tall. So sit back, relax, grab a cuppa, and enjoy the show.